0: Well, happy Sunday to you. I'm glad uh, for the time that we've had to spend together this summer looking at the most famous sermon in the history of Christianity, which is Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. I've enjoyed this time together. I've grown and been challenged by listening to Jesus's words, and I hope uh, to some degree the same is true for you. I love being here with you and I love having our Bibles open, but I want to begin today with this issue. Now that we've heard a great sermon, not mine, but Jesus's, now that we've heard a great sermon, now what? Once you've heard the words of Jesus, then what? A couple of famous illustrations from the book of Matthew might be helpful. There was a fellow, we refer to him as a rich young ruler. I don't know if that title is fair, but it's the title that he's known as in history. He's called rich because he had a lot of money. He's called young because he's described as young, and he's called a ruler because he has a lot of authority. And being wealthy and cool and young and having power in life it sounds like a pretty good thing and he met jesus and began a conversation about spiritual matters with jesus and they end up talking about eternal life and then jesus and this rich young ruler have an intelligent conversation about the ten commandments you you shouldn't murder um you shouldn't commit adultery you shouldn't Bear false testimony and and this rich young ruler turns out to be a relatively moral and upstanding guy Because he's able to hear these things in this conversation with jesus About the ten commandments and say, you know, i've been doing that stuff since I was young No adultery no murder No false testimony And jesus responds to him and kind of pushes the issue of loving your neighbor as yourself a little bit further by saying to this rich young ruler, sell your possessions and give to those in need. You see, he's challenging this rich young ruler not just to be able to say, I haven't broken some of those rules. He's challenging this rich young ruler to actually live a life of love which is going to require letting go of some of his love of money in order to be more generous with others. And Jesus invites this man to come and follow him. And then the book of Matthew tells us this rich young ruler, hearing Jesus' direction for his life and hearing this invitation to follow Jesus personally, The book of Matthew tells us that instead of following Jesus, he went away sad. It's interesting, right? It doesn't say that he went away feeling judged by Jesus or something like that. It wasn't that he went away thinking that Jesus was really strict. It's almost as though this rich young ruler realizes Jesus is on to something that would be a great way to live life with radical generosity But he went away not following Jesus. He went on his own way sad because he realized he loved his money more than he loved the way of Jesus. So we've heard the words of Jesus. Now what? You get why this matters, right? On the other hand, the book of Matthew also tells us a story about a couple of brothers One of them is named Simon and often called Peter and Jesus found them in the middle of their job. They also had some means. They weren't the poorest people around. They owned some resources and they ran a family business along with his brother and working together with his dad. And Jesus found him working his fishing industry job. And Jesus called to Simon known as Peter and he said, come and follow me. And Peter left his job behind and began following Jesus. Maybe we'll return a little bit to Peter's story later on in this message, but at least for now we can say the rest is history. So here's the thing. We've heard the words of Jesus. Now what? We've heard the words of Jesus How will we respond? These words that were just read a moment ago are the very last words recorded of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount which began by saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are spiritually poor and they understand it because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And it includes these great words about living a life of mercy and a life of righteousness. Living a life of inner purity and a life of love for others. Living a life with a kind of righteousness that exceeds the hypocritical righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. A life in which our acts of piety are not done just in order to impress other people, but a life of worship and piety in which our acts of worship are done for our Father who sees what happens in secret. A life that involves not judging one another. How freeing and beautiful is that to imagine a kingdom where judgment of others is not normal. Jesus calls us to a way of life that involves living in a relationship of fellowship with our Father, knowing that He gives generously what we need. And the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, calls us kind of in this crescendoing fashion. It calls us to live a life, as, as Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says, In such a way that whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the sum of the law and the prophets, Jesus says. And having given us all of this good teaching, Jesus ends on this issue. Now that you've heard the words of Jesus, now what? Now what are you going to do with them? And here in these concluding words, we're going to take a few minutes and think about the picture that Jesus gives us, because he's using a word picture, as you heard a moment ago, and we're going to hear the warning that Jesus gives us, and then I want, I want us to pay attention to one big question that we need to wrestle with today. Let's begin with the picture. Jesus uses a word picture here in these verses, a word picture that has to do with two different houses with different kinds of foundations, right? Two houses with different foundations and maybe the houses both look beautiful at the surface level. And because these houses are a metaphor for the way that we build our lives, you see that as you hear this, because these houses are a metaphor for the way that we build our lives, we might imagine these houses as representing two different people, both of whom listen to the same sermons. Both of whom read from the same Bible. Both of whom say their prayers. These two houses both look beautiful at the surface level, but underneath the surface... Jesus tells us these two houses are remarkably different. Why? Because in the one case, the house is built on bedrock. Verse 24 talks about this man's life, this person's life, as being like a person who dug down deep, to use the words that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 6, and kind of Fixed the foundations of his house into the bedrock beneath the topsoil. At the surface level, he's got a he's got one kind of house, but down beneath the surface, what's going on with this house? This man's life is built on the rock. On the other hand, this other beautiful looking house is very different under the surface. Because this other home, this second home that Jesus mentions, is not built into the bedrock. Instead, the builder of this second home, we get the idea in verse 26, just kind of came along with a pile of two-by-fours and laid them down on the topsoil and started drilling things into each other. The one house has foundations dug into the rock The other just has two by fours thrown on top of the dirt. And so while these two houses might both look very good above the surface, when you dig down beneath the surface level, these two homes are remarkably different. And these two houses, in Jesus' word picture, represent two different lives. Two different lifestyles, we might say. One which has foundations that are dug down deep and fixed securely and one which has foundations that are obviously preparing for disaster. So here's the issue. This passage calls us not just to evaluate our lives at the surface level, but to check our foundations. You get this as a Midwesterner, right? We understand the importance of foundations in our homes. I just, I just heard from somebody a week or two ago here in Aurora, who was looking at his basement walls and realized they were beginning to move inward and cracks were growing wider and the walls were moving in. And we all understand as Midwesterners, if you've got the foundations of your house beginning to push in, you're in trouble when the storm comes, right? This passage calls us to check the foundation Of your life. But the question is. How do you check the foundation of your life? And the key. Difference. Between these two foundations. If we begin to move from the word picture itself. To what Jesus is actually teaching us here. The key difference is described right up front for us. Very plainly. In verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine. And what? (laughs) Everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Does them. And then look with me, if you would, at verse 26. This is the fellow whose house is built on sand. And everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Does not do them. So what's the difference between these two houses? It's not necessarily whether they look successful or wealthy or happy. That's not the difference between these two houses. The difference is found in the foundation. And what is the foundational issue that Jesus is after? You've heard my teaching, but now what? You've heard my words, now what are you going to do about it? This is the foundational issue that Jesus identifies here. Now, some of us who have studied theology and read the Bible know that there is a wonderful teaching in Scripture that we often refer to as, big word here, justification by faith alone. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone. And so there are these teachings about how we're justified not by works done in the flesh, but we're justified by faith in Christ. And someone might be reading along with some awareness of that and saying, "Jesus." You're committing a foul here when it comes to the jo- doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone. And I just want to ease your conscience if you're thinking that. And I want to assure you that Jesus is not in theological error. All right. That's my, that's my conviction or my assumption here. And here's a really simple explanation of how this fits together with that idea. The, the explanation is to say something like this Do you realize that a pregnancy test does not make you pregnant? A pregnancy test, maybe you need to take notes here? Okay, are we. <laughs> <is> what, <laughs> a pregnancy test does not make you pregnant, but a pregnancy test might be a reliable indicator that a new life has begun. Tracking with me? In the same way, when Jesus says, Everyone who does these words of mine. Listen, the doing doesn't make you born again. The doing doesn't make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as if just following these things will get you through the pearly gates. The doing doesn't make you alive again, doesn't make you born again, it doesn't make you a citizen of heaven any more than a pregnancy test makes you pregnant. However, like a pregnancy test, Doing what Jesus has said is a reliable indicator, a good indicator that a new life has begun spiritually and that you are, in fact, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Maybe some of us need to be surprised to hear this radical teaching of Jesus. Jesus is saying that your obedience to him actually does matter. He's not joking around about this stuff as if it's like, well, there are all kinds of ways to live. And here's the one that I happen to like. Jesus is telling us that following him really does matter, not in a sense that it gets us into the kingdom of heaven, but in the sense that Jesus Christ is not only a gateway to heaven, he's the whole way. And following Jesus is not just a matter of like, how many things do I need to do to get through the doorway of Jesus and then I'll go back to living life my own way. Following Jesus as Lord is not just a matter of what do I have to do to get through the doorway. It's a matter of following Jesus from now until forevermore. Our obedience to him really is important according to Jesus. It's an important indicator that new life exists And that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. To hear Jesus and to walk away without responding in faith and following, to walk away from Jesus like the rich young ruler is dangerous. This is why the New Testament urges us, James chapter 1 verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You see what James is getting at? There is a way to hear the teaching of God's word. There's a way to hear the teaching of Jesus himself. And then to deceive ourselves into thinking, just because I've been around the church circles just because i've listened to the sermon just because i've been interested in this stuff i must be all right but jesus and the new testament and god's spirit today is telling us there is a danger of deceiving yourself by being a hearer only be doers of the word and not hearers only If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus and yet do not plan to actually follow his teachings, something doesn't add up. This is an issue of discipleship, which is why when Jesus calls his disciples to go and make disciples, He doesn't just tell them, I want you to go and lead people to pray prayers of decision. Jesus' direction at the very end of the book of Matthew is make disciples of all nations, dot, dot, dot. The dot, dot, dot is very important, but for now, dot, dot, dot. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them information. Probably has to be some information, But what kind of teaching are we after? According to Jesus, the goal of Christian ministry is not just information exchange. The way of discipleship is not just listening to good sermons. According to Jesus, the way of making disciples involves teaching them to observe, to follow, to do something. To do something differently as a result of Of hearing Jesus Christ the Lord's teaching. This is the word picture that Jesus gives us about two houses with two radically different foundations. These represent different people whose lives might both look equally happy, equally successful, maybe even equally religious. And yet down beneath the surface, Jesus is warning If you call yourself my disciple and don't intend to actually do anything as a result of what I've taught you, something doesn't add up. And that brings us from the picture about these two houses and two foundations to the warning that Jesus has to offer. And the warning, which is the tipping point in both of these little word picture stories that Jesus gives, the warning is that a storm really is coming. You notice how significant the storm is in verse 25 and in verse 27. In verse 25, talking about the house with foundations, Jesus' word picture goes like this, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Notice again, What happens in the storm for verse 27? And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. So far, we're talking about two houses that might look equally happy, that might look equally successful, that might look equally religious, facing the same kind of beating storm. But notice how different the outcome is for these two houses at the end of verse 27. And it fell, the house without a foundation, anchored through faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. The house without foundation fell and great was the fall of it. Again, we need to move from the word picture to real life. You get the idea that the storms of life will profoundly reveal the strength of your foundations. You get that idea, right? I was talking this week with a friend of mine who's a part of the Advent congregation here, the folks who let us use their building on Sunday afternoon. I was talking with a a dear friend uh, in in that congregation who's in his retirement years and he's able to look back to the season of life that I'm in and think of those as the young days, right? (laughs) I got an amen from a few folks there. He's able to look back and he was telling me this week about a season in his life when he was closer to my age than the age that he is now and he was very, very deeply depressed for quite a long time. He described to me what that depression was like, a feeling of kind of inability to do anything, getting home from work and just kind of collapsing into his chair with no more relational energy for anybody, no matter how hard he tried Collapsing into his chair with no more energy to do other things around the house and I feel for my friend because I've been depressed as well before and I know how bleak and how hopeless that can feel when we feel like there really isn't an ounce of energy left in me. I can't just change my feelings. I can't just feel more hopeful. I can't just feel more joyful. I can't just kind of get moving. I can't just get up off the chair. When it feels like there's nothing left, I know what that's like. And I, I sympathized also with his wife to imagine what that must have been like month after month to see your husband come home and just collapse in a chair dealing with severe depression month after month. I was listening to my friend's story, and it really kind of gripped my heart to hear about that storm in his life, that storm of a serious season of depression. And then I walked away and I started some study in Matthew chapter 7 about the storms of life revealing the foundations in our lives, the strength of the foundations in our lives. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. My friend is still here. He's still walking with the Lord. Praise God. He's still married and happily so. Praise God. He's still serving his church and showing up to volunteer in his retirement years because he loves other people and he wants to look out for their interests. Praise God. And listen, if we could rewind and sit down beside him, slump down in that chair, we'd realize... He didn't get from being slumped down in the chair in the depths of depression to where he is now because he somehow mustered up the strength to get there. How did he get from there to where he is today? The answer is the foundation held. The answer is his life was rooted in and anchored to something stronger than himself. His life was secured in something more secure than his own inner sense of strength. Such that when he walked through the storm of a serious season of depression, the foundations of his faith in Jesus Christ, however weak they must have felt in the moment, the foundations held. We know This idea that the storms of life will profoundly reveal the strength of our foundations. And yet Jesus is talking about a storm that is coming which is even more serious than months of depression. And I don't say that in any way to dismiss how serious an experience of depression can be. I say that to emphasize the seriousness of what Jesus is warning us about this storm that is to come. Think about the context of these verses for just a minute. If you were here last week, you heard some of the things that Jesus was saying from verse 13 down to verse 23. But let me just review with you very briefly... In verse 13, Jesus warned about a destruction that is is coming for those who do not enter his promise of eternal life by the narrow gate. In verse 13, he warns about destruction. In verses 15 through 20, Jesus spoke of the branches of trees without fruit, which will be burned up in a great fire. And then in verse 23, Jesus warned that many will say, Lord, Lord, only to hear Jesus say in response, Depart from me, I never knew you. Do you hear the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about? He's not just telling you this is how to get your life a little bit happier. I mean, that would be cool. I like being happy. I'll talk with you about how to get my life happier if you've got good tips for me. But that's not what Jesus is really focused on here. Do you hear the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about? Something that relates to utter destruction? Described as being like a burning of a great fire? Something that warns very seriously that Jesus will say to some, depart from me because I never actually knew you despite all your words. Despite all your lip service. And now... Jesus describes a person who hears his teaching and yet goes on their own way as being like a house that is built with just two-by-fours laid in the mud. And he describes a furious storm that really is coming. And he warns, If you don't dig down deep and get your foundations secure, it doesn't matter how happy your life may look. It doesn't matter how successful your life may feel. It doesn't matter how religious you pretend to be. If you don't dig down deep and get your life secured to something stronger than you, then when the storm comes, great will be the collapse. There's a true story Um, from about 10 years ago, a night that I won't forget in my life. I woke up in the middle of the night. I don't know, let's say 2 a.m. Do you like being woken at 2 a.m.? I do not like it, okay? There were flashing lights coming through my window. There was all kinds of commotion and chaos down in the street that woke me up. And I was kind of annoyed at all of this going on in my time, for my sleep, in my cozy house. What's up with all the lights? What's up with all the commotion? Who dares disturb my sleep? And so I got up and I went to the window and I opened the window and I could see through a reflection in the windows of the house across the street that the house next door to me was consumed with fire. I don't mean that the house next door to me had like a little bit of smoke. I mean like billowing flames, and fire fighters with like axes chopping at things, and trucks. And so my wife, um, Katie, who loves me, was like, you know, you're a pastor. You should go help people. <laughs> and so like two a.m. version of me was like, you're right. I'm a pastor. I should go help people. And so 2 a.m. version of me put on a jacket and like stumbled outside, still like tired. (laughs) This is like my favorite part. And I find this firefighter. And remember, like there's a house consumed with smoke. Firefighters are over there like swinging their axes, like saving lives and everything. And I stumble out in the middle of the street and I'm just like, I'm a pastor. I'm here to help people. (laughs) And so I said to the firefighter who was charging across the street, I said, you you ready for this brilliant question? What's going on? And you know his words to me? What does it look like? And that was the end of our conversation. (laughs) He had more important things to do than deal with me wandering around confused, trying to figure out how I'm going to contribute to this situation as I'm getting over being annoyed about being awakened from my comfy sleep in my cozy house in the middle of the night. Why? Because he's on a mission to rescue lives. Right? Here's why I bring up this story about a fire next door. Is because as Jesus speaks about the danger of the coming storm, some of us will feel like we'd rather be left alone than hear all of this negative stuff about destruction that is to come. Some of us are still like sleeping, pulling the sheets over our bed, over our head version of me at 2 a.m. Like I don't want to hear about it. I don't like this talk about destruction i don't like this talk about fire i don't like this talk about good respectable happy looking people coming up to an eternal collapse i don't like it and here's the thing if there is no fire up ahead then jesus is a disturbed lunatic and if there is no real storm up ahead, then we would be right to be really ticked off at Jesus. Just like you'd be right to be really ticked off at me if I came down your street and started chopping holes in people's houses in the middle of the night when there was no fire. But what if Jesus is speaking to us with this urgency ...about the storm that is to come, not because he's some kind of raving lunatic, but because there really is a fire... Because there, what if he, Jesus is making this noise in this street and waking some of us up, even though we'd rather be asleep in our comfy, cozy own home without being bothered by this stuff? What if Jesus is making noise in the street about this destruction that is to come because it's real? Well, then Jesus is not a lunatic. Instead, He's a rescuer who's come to save And all of the flashing lights and all of the commotion that comes out of Jesus' teaching about this stuff is not, it's not just here to annoy us. What if Jesus knows what really is coming? Well, then instead of standing in his way and protesting and saying, why don't you calm down about that stuff about the storm? What if we need to step out of the way and let Jesus continue on with his work of redemption? Maybe we need to situate our own lives instead of just thinking about me, myself, and I in my comfy, cozy little household right now. And we need to resituate our lives in light of the wider story of redemption that the scriptures tell us a wider story of redemption that really is headed toward a real judgment before a real creator. Who takes really seriously our disobedience and rebellion against Him? If we begin to resituate our lives and realize this isn't just the inconvenience of me getting awakened by uncomfortable ideas, this is the Savior of the world warning me about the danger that will destroy me and my family and my whole neighborhood if He doesn't do something about it. Then all of a sudden, his warnings take on a different kind of urgency, don't they? And all of a sudden, our response to Jesus becomes a much more serious issue, doesn't it? We need to check our foundations because what distinguishes houses is not necessarily what's above the surface. What distinguishes one house from another is our response to Jesus. We need to check our foundations because there's a storm that's coming, but when we check, what are we looking for? We're looking at this issue. What is my relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord? Am I hearing His words and just going on my own way? and preferring my comfy and cozy life with all my stuff. Or am I hearing his teaching and revering him as Lord to the point of following in the way that he's called us to? So here's the big question that we need to consider as we check the foundations of our lives. The big question is this, how are you responding to Jesus? Some of us realize I've spent a lot of my life like the rich young ruler. I've heard, but now what? Now I just keep going my own way. And for some, right now today, you need to begin the journey of following Jesus as your Lord, trusting him as the one who came to rescue us, not only by his words, but the one who came to rescue us by giving his own life as a sacrifice for our sins, to open the way to the Father so that even sinful people like you and me can be invited into the family of God by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Some of you need to be invited, even challenged today. Don't hear the words of Jesus and keep going your own way. Be doers of the word. Others of us need to be challenged today to keep on following Jesus because this stuff really does matter. Some of us need to be challenged today to check our foundations and maybe we've built our lives into the rock of Jesus Christ and yet we realize there's some foundation repair that's needed. There's places where I've resisted following the teaching of Jesus there's parts of his teaching that align with how I want to live and that's great, but there's other parts that I find more challenging and I tend to just ignore those and look away. Jesus Christ the Lord is calling us to follow him in every aspect of our lives, not just the ones that are convenient. And so he calls us afresh to lives of mercy and righteousness, lives of purity And lives of radical love for others. We need to check our foundations. How are you responding to Jesus? Some of us will hear this, and even though we know we've heard before and we've made our best intentions to follow, we've failed. Maybe some of us, it turns out, are a lot like that fellow named Simon Peter. Jesus called out to him and said, follow me. And and Simon Peter left his nets and followed. But do you know what else happens in that story? His pathway turns out to be pretty rocky. There's the time that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And there's all kinds of answers. And Simon Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. But then immediately after that, as the book of Matthew records it, Jesus starts teaching about the cross, and Peter's theology isn't so good yet. And so Jesus needs to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Where there's the time that Peter is aware of the persecution of Jesus And he shrinks back in fear and he denies Jesus again and again and again. And he needs to be restored by Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Or maybe there was the time later on in Simon Peter's life after he'd been involved in church leadership and ministry when he began to pull back from some people who were from a different ethnic background than he was from. And Paul writes about it in the book of Galatians. Paul says, I had to confront him to his face because his life was not in step with the gospel. Maybe some of us know what it's like to have a rocky pathway of discipleship. Like Simon Peter. But here's the thing. The big question is not how smooth is the pathway of discipleship for you. The big question is how are you responding to Jesus? Are you like the rich young ruler? Hearing the teaching and just walking away unchanged? Or like Simon Peter, have you begun following him? And found yourself in some theological problems? And had to come back and found yourself wavering in your commitment and needed to come back and found yourself straying away into a lifestyle that's not in keeping with the gospel and needing to come back. Have you, like Peter, discovered that in the way of following Jesus, there is mercy for people like us? Here's what Peter says to other believers. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, the God of all grace will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. And to him be the dominion forevermore. So here's the big question. It's not, have you followed Jesus perfectly yourself? It's how have you responded to Jesus? By turning and going your own way? Or by following the one who is full of grace, even today? Jesus Christ says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now that we've heard the words of Jesus, now what? That's the question for us to consider.